Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. So we are quite isolated, but this gives us a very unique ability to geographically unite all of our people. And that's a cool thing. I love it. Why would an Australian support group start a podcast? Why is it valuable to have heart kids doing interviews? What topics interest Aussies who listen to this podcast? Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and your host. I am also a heart mom. My heart warrior is a 27-year-old pharmacy tech at our local hospital. My heart warrior was born with a single ventricle heart and is my inspiration. That's the reason I am the host of your program. I'm very excited about today's show featuring two heart warriors. Today's show is entitled Meeting Rachel and Sam, hosts from the Heart Podcast. And our guests are Rachel Knowles and Sam Stolberg. Sam Stolberg and Rachel Knowles are the hosts of From the Heart, a podcast by Heart Kids, the only national charity solely focused on supporting people impacted by childhood heart disease based in Australia. Childhood heart disease includes both congenital conditions and heart conditions acquired during childhood. Heart Kids seeks to give everyone with CHD a fighting chance to live a long, healthy, and fulfilling life. From the Heart explores stories of people impacted by congenital heart defects or CHD. Sam's CHD didn't affect him much growing up as he played high-level rugby league throughout high school. Then all of a sudden, he needed open-heart surgery at the age of 26. Rachel grew up in a small town and vowed never to let her heart condition, which was trichospinitresia, get in the way. However, she found herself pushing through rather than processing the trauma she experienced and sought professional help. Both Sam and Rachel understand the importance of advocating for yourself, being proactive with your mental health and resilience, and so much more. They will be joining us today to talk about their experiences and their podcast. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Rachel and Sam. Thank you for having me. Very excited. Yeah, thank you for letting us come on and and chat with you. We appreciate it. Well, I'm so excited to finally talk to you. I've listened to a couple of your episodes and now I get to meet you. So I'm really happy. I'd like to start with Rachel. So, Rachel, you made sure your heart defect didn't get in the way of life for you growing up. What was it like growing up in a small town with a heart defect as serious as trichospinitresia? I really loved it, to be honest. I grew up in rural New South Wales, and I think I'm such a community person because I grew up in such a beautiful, tight-knit, supportive community. My mom and dad were teachers at the local school. Everybody was well aware of my heart condition. They knew kind of what that looked like and how to support me best. And I guess I always had somebody keeping an eye on me, making sure that I was okay. 
which, you know, it was hard when I got 16 and it got a bit wild, but that's fine. And then I think probably the hardest thing would have been the distance between where I was living and where I had made my home to my medical support team. So the drive from Gilgandra to Sydney was about eight eight hours. And I don't, yeah, I don't envy my poor mum having to do that like every two weeks, my mum and dad to take me for the checkups. And of course, as I got older and more independent, we had to travel that less. But I think that was really difficult. And I imagine it would have been hard bringing home a heart baby so far away and raising somebody whose needs were so different to the other children. So yeah, I think that was probably the hardest part of it. But of course, that would have been harder for my parents. And for me, I had a great experience. I loved it and I would do it again. I love hearing that because I think one of the things we parents worry about when we're told that our children have really complicated congenital heart disease is, are they going to hate us for what we put them through? And you like to hear a story like what you just said, where you feel that you had a great childhood. Did you have all of your surgeries as an infant or a very young child? Yeah, the majority. My mum always says I had like eight surgeries by the time I was six or something. So yeah, I had my initial surgery on the tricuspid valve. So I had a shunt put in when I was born. And then in 1999, so when I was two years old, I had my Fontaine bypass. I had my zipper scar then. And my other surgeries around that, obviously, with the CHD, have complications. So I had a lot of, you know, throat stuff. I had a lot of issues around that. I had some reproductive stuff. So majority of them were before I was 12. Do you remember any of your surgeries? I do, actually. I have vague memories of a few. I can remember when I was little. I used to hate waking up after a surgery without my mum and dad there. There used to be this green armchair next to me in Western Children's Hospital that I knew my dad would go to sleep in. If I woke up without him there, I'd panic. And or my mum, and I remember... I used to hate going under, so I used to ask the nurses at hospital, you could get flavoured gas. I used to get the strawberry gas and... My dad used to sit with me and we'd count down from 10 and he'd be like, all right, imagine you're jumping on the trampoline at home. Just think about jumping. And yeah, so I remember vague moments like that from a lot of it, but not anything enough to build a whole image. Mm -hmm. Well, I listened to the episode of your podcast where Sam interviewed you. And I'll put the link to that program in the show notes for anybody else who would like to listen to it. It's a really good episode. In that episode, you told Sam that you fell out of care. And my own heart warrior has also fallen out of care. This seems to be something that is so common. Can you talk to us about how that happened and how you feel about that now? Yeah, totally. I think often we forget that this is just like every other health thing, right? You're never going to be 100% at going to the gym. You're going to have days where you can't. Sometimes you're going to drop the ball and including all the trauma that's around having conditions like this, make it sometimes a bit harder to take that step to complete your care or transition in your care. For me, if you listen to the podcast, a, a bit of a struggle moving from 16 years old to 18 years old, that transition of my life and moving hospitals and things of that sort. I think what I can bring to this conversation as opposed to them is like the, the conversation around motherhood was really difficult for me. Growing up, I was always told that CHD bubs might not be an opportunity for you to have a baby. And that was really hard. So we talk a lot about family planning in this space when you're a woman, but you're just as a woman, you choose not to have babies as well. It's really important. 
But for me, I had to be really proactive about this was something that hung over my head, very much did because I would like to have children. So I became really proactive, built myself a really strong reproductive team, had some really frank conversations with them around contraception, around what does it look like I can have children? How would I deliver? How would I carry? What does my cycle look like? Do I have the follicles to have babies? And just like gunned them with all of those questions as quick as I could to get as much information. And then now in a position where I have all that information, I have really beautiful medical professionals that I can go to when I'm vulnerable and nervous about questions and feeling that triggeredness in my chest about things and who will always act in my best interest, who will always give me the medical advice that's needed and appropriate for that point in time. And I think that's the best thing that has been for me. You live in a constant state of having this question above your head when you have CHDs around your health and your ongoing health. And you're never going to get a definite answer, but it's about having people in your circle who will give you the advice that you need appropriate for you without any other bias and without any other judgment towards you. Yeah, I agree with you. I think having the right team makes a big difference. My heart warrior is just now getting back into care after having been out of care for a while and told me that he was tired of having to see the cardiologist every six months. And for a while, he just wanted to feel normal. And he felt so good that he didn't feel like he had to see the cardiologist. But he is now back in care and I'm so relieved (laughs) that he's back in care. But I think it's what you said, Rachel. It's all about finding that right team that you know has your back and is going to be able to address the issues that are important to you, such as motherhood. Yeah, change is a big thing and it's a big scary thing, and particularly when I can imagine coming back into care with transitioning and then having all those questions about your identity and self is really difficult. But when we think about the way that I like to call myself out on it is, you know, when you think about self-care, when you have conditions like this, self-care isn't just I'm going to, you know, go out and do some retail therapy. It's actually about pulling yourself together and knowing that this is in your best interest and your best health. And it's a way that you can look after yourself now that will benefit you later. Right. So you were in your early 20s when you actually sought professional help. What did you find to be most helpful for you? Yeah, most helpful was an understanding now that I, you know, I'm a grown woman. I have agency over my health. As scary as that is to have that pass from my parents to myself, it's time for them now to be able to live a life without having to care for me and put my appointments first that's now my responsibility and that's scary but also that means that I have a lot of agency within how my life looks and how I care for myself and what I do and I think when I have a really good mental health team I have a really good reproductive health team I have a great cardiologist and I'm still building my team like there's still areas that I need and you know even in the family planning dynamic, the podcast has been great as well because I've gotten so much information off that about what that looks like and how that can happen. But having conversations about, okay, I'm 25 now, when is the best age? What does that look like? I know that with or without a partner, I would like to be a mother. So what time is the best way to do that? What happens if I have an unplanned pregnancy? What are my options? What's the safest thing for me considering the heart condition because unplanned pregnancies can be fatal sometimes in our community so what are the options that I have 
and empowering myself to have the choices in that. So the most helpful thing I think for me is knowing that actually I've done this my whole life. I may have had my mom and my dad there supporting me, but I'm smart enough and I'm strong enough to be able to make these decisions independently now and confident enough to live with the decisions that I make without my help as well. Night Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home Tonight Forever. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests, and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Sam, I understand that you were very active when you were young. I can't believe that you played rugby because that's a really tough sport. Can you tell me what your life was like growing up? Well, for me, I live life as a very stereotypical Australian bloke. So I was born up in Cairns, which is in tropical North Queensland, and it's God's country up there. It's absolutely stunning. So I, I spent a lot of my childhood going out fishing, camping, and obviously playing rugby league. Rugby league, for you Americans, is probably one of the toughest sports. We think it's tougher than gridiron because we don't have quite as much padding. But for me, that was a huge part of my life, and that was basically where my life was headed. I was trying to pursue a, a professional career, but I li- lived a beautiful life, you know, getting to go out camping and fishing, those were the things that, that mattered most to me, spending time with my family. You know, my mum was told that I technically wasn't really supposed to play rugby league, but she could see how much it meant to me. So she was happy for me to push myself into that. You know, we're obviously very mindful of it, but yeah, it was very important to me and I, I absolutely loved it. So couldn't hold me back. So even though you didn't have open heart surgery until you were 26, your parents knew you had a heart issue? Uh, yeah, so I was born with a bicuspid valve, so uh, okay. that was picked up when I was three years old by my general practitioner. And for some people, they can live their whole life with a bicuspid aortic valve and it doesn't really trouble them, but something must have happened to you at 26 to require some kind of surgery. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, so it was actually back in 2011, so I was I was 20, well, 22, something like that at the time, my mass is a bit off at the moment, but I was actually applying to get into the army and I was very upfront honest about my heart condition because obviously they needed to be aware of that. And up to that point, it shouldn't have been a problem because I'd played at high level rugby league through my whole life and it never affected me. So my my GP gave me clearance, uh, my cardiologist at the time gave me clearance, but it hit a point when I was making that application, I was actually going through as an officer into the army, something that I'd worked towards for a few years. So... They basically said, cool, this is fine. You know, we understand that you, you know, should be fit for duty, but we've just got to get your cardiologist to sign off. So called her up, 
she said it should be fine, but I'm due for a checkup anyhow. And then it was at that time that we did the scans and she was happy to sign off until she got the results from the scans, which said that I had aortic dilation. So my aorta was swelling up and it's like a balloon. You keep blowing it up at one point, it's going to rupture. And that's not a good time if that happens. Right. Oh my goodness. That must have been so concerning to you because here you grew up knowing you had this bicuspid aortic valve, but then all of a sudden you hear you have an aortic aneurysm, which is quite different than a bicuspid aortic valve. Did she recommend surgery right away? So it wasn't too bad back in 2011. So that's where I managed to sort of escape up until 2017. So I just moved to the Sunshine Coast where I'm living now. I went to see a new cardiologist and went in and saw him and and he did a scan. And, And it was basically at that appointment, I should say, that he was just like, okay, you have to have surgery within the next 90 days. I mean, that was very confronting oh, for me wow. because, yeah, it was, you know, that was the first appointment that I actually attended on my own as an adult. When, when you get told that you're going to have surgery within the next 90 days and you don't have your support group around you, that's when you realize how fragile we actually are within our own mental strength. Right, right. I know my son, like Rachel, has a Fontan heart. And lived with his Fontan heart for all his childhood. Like Rachel didn't really have to think too much about it because he had his surgeries when he was young and didn't really remember them. And then he developed an aortic aneurysm. And we watched it for six years. We watched it grow and grow and grow and grow until finally they said, okay, you have to have it taken care of now. And he was 16 years old. He understood it because he heard me give speeches and he saw the books that I wrote. But it wasn't until he experienced it as a teenager that I think it really came to light for him what it was like. It it sounds like you also were able to pretty much live your life without really too much concern until all of a sudden you're facing open-heart surgery as an adult. And that's totally different. Yeah, it was it was very challenging for me, and it's something that I am very open and honest because I, I need to be, especially being in the position that I'm in. You know, being a host of this podcast, and you know, a lot of the other work that I do outside of here as well. Yeah, you know, I, I struggled with it from a mental health standpoint. Like, I almost took my own life because I, I had even before needing to have been told that you need to have open heart surgery. I struggled with anxiety and depression, so this obviously amplified those issues a lot. And for me, I felt like my life had been taken out of my control. So I was given 90 days to have the surgery and ended up being pushed out to about six months. And Mm. that weighed on me heavily. I'm like, am am I going to die? The the chance of me dying are high. I'm obviously having open heart surgery, which has risks. So I was just like, I'm going to take my life into my own control. And that was obviously a very challenging moment. And yeah, it's difficult going through life, living it, as you said, sort of, you know, relatively healthy. And then Mm -hmm. basically the rug being pulled out from underneath your feet. And then your life is just very dramatically shifted in a moment. And that's, yeah, it's a lot to take on. It is. Now, when they did the surgery, since they were in there working on your aorta anyway, did they replace your aortic valve? Yeah. So I've got a mechanical valve in there now. So I've got the clock within my chest. That drives me bonkers a lot of the time, but but it's keeping me alive. So I'm grateful. I can, yeah. But I'm a massive overthinker and I probably just think about it more than I need to. I 
totally understand. I have had some friends whose children had mechanical valves, and when they would be taking a test in school, people could hear their valve. Yeah. <laughs> that seems strange that everybody in the classroom could hear something going on in your chest. And, but that was a long time ago. So I was hoping <laughs> that maybe they got better and now they're not so loud. But I'm sure for you, it's got to be loud. And it's a constant reminder. Do you think you're able to tune it out now more than when you first got it? From a, a mental standpoint, I'm, I'm in a different state of awareness now than what I was when I first had it. But I, I remember when the, the, there was a moment when I was in hospital, I'm just like, this tick is driving me bonkers. I just had the idea. I'm like, I'm just going to stick headphones in my ears and it's going to drown it out. But when I stuck the headphones in, it almost sort of amplified the sound because it's coming um, from with, within me. You wow. know, obviously sticking headphones in your ears, unless you crank the music up really loud, it's not going to drown out the noise. That bothered me a lot. Music's a huge part of my life. I love it. And sure. when it starts impacting my ability to enjoy the music, it's very difficult. So I try and listen to it now and just think of it as like a metronome, but um, sometimes <laughs> it doesn't work. I love that. Try to just incorporate that into the music. That's awesome. Yeah, 100%. So uh, what is your future like considering you have a mechanical valve? At least you don't have a bicuspid aortic valve anymore. Is there a concern about the aneurysm coming back? Hopefully everything is resolved for the issues that I had. So obviously now that I've got a mechanical valve, I'm on warfarin, so I need to be mindful. I live a very active life. I still do a lot of things that I probably shouldn't do. So any of our heart kids listeners, kids, cover <laughs> your ears, please don't follow what I do. But because the, the issue with warfarin is if I get hit in the head and get a concussion, then yes. it can actually cause a, a brain bleed. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I need to be very mindful of. But outside of those, I may have a couple other little issues that are arising now. So something that I need to be mindful of. And yeah, just got to go and see my heart team and see if we can get those resolved or we'll hit them um, on the head before they become anything major. I'm kind of surprised that they didn't opt to do a Ross procedure and take your pulmonary valve and put it in place of your aortic valve, and they decide to use a mechanical valve instead. Did they talk to you about that as an option? They didn't talk to me about that as an option. They spoke about having a bovine valve, but the issue with me, especially with my lifestyle, is it would burn out within maybe five uh, to seven years. Yeah. So the, the mechanical valve theoretically should outlast me as long as I obviously look oh, after it. Wow. it, it. It should theoretically, you know, they, they're made of some pretty fancy materials now. Cool. So yeah, my cardiologist was very adamant that they won't need to replace the valve itself. That's wonderful. That's the first time I've heard that the mechanical valve can last that long. I thought that even the mechanical valves had to be replaced after a while, but they're constantly renovating and making new materials. It's really exciting to see all of the changes that are happening in the field of pediatric cardiology. Yeah, it's amazing. They've come so far and I'm a massive geek. So I, I love learning about the mechanics behind things. And for me, I was just like, I think of a car's engine. I'm just like, valves wear out on a car. So why is this any different? But then, yeah, it's made up of, of like some ceramic composite material that's, yeah, it, it's supposedly going to outlast me. So We'll see what happens. We'll see if I can put that to the test. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you are putting your body to the test. Do you still play rugby? No, I'm not allowed to anymore, unfortunately. And that's one of the biggest things that bothers me about my heart surgery is, yeah, not, not being able to play footy. And obviously, you know, playing rugby league, it's a very physical sport. And so concussion is a very real thing. And when I do things, I don't do them by halves either. So I'd go in there 
fully loaded and yeah, I'd injure myself and then yeah, potentially leave myself out in that field, unfortunately. So have you found another sport that you're passionate about to take its place? Not as yet. I've found many other hobbies to do. So I do a bit of yoga, started going back to gym fondly, just stopped being so lazy. But yeah, I I haven't found a sport per se that has replaced it, but I've just filled the gap with many other hobbies. Because with your endurance, I could see you being a great swimmer. I wouldn't imagine that would be as dangerous for you. Swimming seems to be a really good sport. I live at the beach, so swimming in in water was a huge part of my healing journey itself. So it's always going to hold a special place in my heart. I was released six days after my surgery. uh, And then on the seventh day, I got my mum to drive me down to the beach so I could walk down and, and put my feet in the water. So I've got a very special bond to the water. But once I start swimming with a purpose, if I'm racing or anything like that, I start losing interest and it bothers me more than it should. So, <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you found the water healing because I agree. And I think that whole sensation of having your feet on the sand and not being in the hospital. Wow. Six day recovery after open heart surgery for an aortic aneurysm and a valve replacement. That's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I, I was amazed. You know, I, I'm, I'm very determined. And you know, when I put my mind to something, it will happen. And yeah, I, I just I pushed myself as much as I physically could, but then mentally as well. Very obviously confronting experience having open heart surgery, but I, I pushed myself to ensure that I gave myself the best opportunity of getting out of that hospital as soon as possible. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Can you tell me why you decided to be co-host for a podcast for the Australian community? And I'll start with you, Sam. So for me, I love building relationships and I've done a fair bit of work with heart kids in the past. Like, you know, I've, I've organized toy drives and gone to different events that they've had. I've gone to education days and I, I love getting to share my story. But the biggest part is being able to share and experience in other people's journeys as well. So for me, it's getting to share those stories from within our community so that others within that community realize that they aren't alone. They're not isolated in their experience. And to me, that's a very beautiful thing. But then outside of that as well is it's trying to help raise a bit of awareness for CHD and the different experiences that people can have on their journeys. So that's from the the parents, siblings, and then even getting to talk to 
the experts within their field. So I've got a podcast that I'm jumping on this afternoon with a professor and I'm looking forward to that because he's a very knowledgeable man. Getting to share his knowledge with our communities is a very beautiful thing to me. But then Australia, you know, geographically is about the same size as the United States with Mm -hmm. far less people. So we are quite isolated, but this gives us a very unique ability to geographically unite all of our people. And that's a cool thing. I love it. One of my volunteers, my script writer, Megan Tones, is the one who told me about your program because she started listening to it, I guess, from the first episode. And as soon as she told me about it, I said, oh, we have to have them on the program. (laughs) But she has so enjoyed hearing the story. She, like you, is an adult with a congenital heart defect and has had multiple open heart surgeries. And I think it was very kind of validating to have your show to listen to and to know that there are other people out there in her country who are going through the same thing. I mean, obviously she knew that was true, but it's different when you get to hear a podcast on a regular basis with people talking about the same issues that you're dealing with. Yeah, it's something that a message that I've seen shine through in a lot of our podcast is the fact that you are not alone. We grow up and we do feel so isolated. I was the only person that I knew when I was growing up that had a heart condition and it was weird. Even for me now, I'm 31 years old. When I tell people that I've had open heart surgery and I show them my zip, you know, they're just like, oh my goodness, because it's something that most people my age wouldn't have to go through. So it can be very isolating and you, know, you do feel quite alone. But Doing this podcast is beautiful because it helps people to realize that they aren't alone, that the experiences that they're having, they're not alone in those. And their mental health battles, that's a big part and reasoning behind why I do what I do. And that's for them to help realize that that they aren't the only ones having these thoughts. They're not the only ones having suicidal thoughts because of this epic journey that they're going down. But then coming out the other side, realizing that the positives and all the benefits of the story that you get to share because you've lived through it. Yeah, that's such a powerful thing. Absolutely. I think you all have a different baseline to people who don't have a congenital heart defect when it comes to how difficult something is or how challenging something is. You have been through so much with your hearts that it gives you a different vantage point in life. Yeah, that's it's something that I share in everything that I do. I, I've dealt with my own mortality and dealing with that at 26 years old is a very obviously confronting thing, but that's what makes me me. That makes my story so, so beautiful because most people don't get to experience that until they're at the end of their life and they're at the end of their journey. Whereas I've stared death in the face and I looked him in the face and I said, not today. I'm still ready. <laughs> I'm still here. I love it. I love it. Rachel, can you tell me about the topics that you all choose for the podcast and tell me about some of the shows that you have coming up? I think the journey has always been as many voices that we can get on and around CHD is important. So that ranges from, of course, professionals in the area, cardiologists, specialists, people who live with this themselves, family members around that. I know that I particularly have done a lot with female doctors around reproductive health and family planning and things of that sort because it is a really big, scary thing. We've done quite a few on mental health. We've also, the incredible Tiny Jazz has done a few, who was also partly a co-host, she's done a few in regards to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people living with CHD or experiencing CHD. 
So we have a collection of voices and I think that can be the biggest thing when you are experiencing this is that it's incredibly isolating. As Sam said, you don't often know people who have the same condition as you and it's nice, I think, to be in a space when you don't know as many people who have the same thing as you do. You don't often let that part of your identity breathe or be present. Mm. So even in a little way where you can go for a walk and you can put a podcast in and you can let that part of you just be and get a bit of room and know that there's connection, I think is really important. So for us, we want to do everything and everything in between with this kind of stuff. We want to do mental health, we want to do reproductive health, we want to do medical stuff, we want to do everything. So I think I'm only speaking for myself here, but I feel like we might have a few more in the books before we call it quits, you know? Oh my goodness. I can't see you all calling it quits for quite a while. I just love meeting all the different people in our community and there are always new people coming in. 100%. I think that, you know, it's so interesting. I find that somebody always has some sort of connection to somebody who has heart stuff. My teacher, uh, my sisters are teachers and often they'll get little bubs in their class that might have heart problems or CHDs or just funny things that they have different. And often my sisters will tell them my story and it's like tell their parents my story. And I think that's on a big scale, this is kind of what the podcast is. There's mm. that nice ability to know that you're good. You got this. You're right. And you're living your life. I think one of the things that was scary for me, my son is 27. And when we were told how serious his heart defect was, my mother was in the room with the doctors and my husband and me. And she said, is he going to be a cripple? Is he going to be in the hospital all the time? And I was appalled that she asked that question, to be honest with you. But she grew up in a day and age where there were cardiac cripples and where there were people who couldn't even move across the room because there wasn't a procedure to help those kind of children. And my son's cardiologist and surgeon said, no, no, if he makes it through the surgery, he should be fine. The big question was, is he going to make it through the surgery? And I think that's what was so scary for us. Yeah, I think that's the really interesting thing when you have like young bubs or you know, when that first starts out is what does life look like? And you have that as parents, as caregivers, what's the best thing that you can do to make sure that they're able to self-determine in their life and grow and be happy and proud and strong individuals. I think, yeah, it's a really scary thing. And even now, like, you know, my nan will be like, oh, I remember when you were born and you were so little and all those stories that I'm just living my life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I love like, that. There's no, there's no big thing. I don't mean to do anything spontaneous. I just happen to just live and I think that's a gift in itself but I think yeah often we forget the the struggles that kind of got us there you know well I think it's the struggles that make your just living so amazing (laughs) and that's what gives us heart parents inspiration it gives us hope that maybe our kids will be able to play sports will be able to consider having a baby and having a family and all those things that most people just take for granted. We don't get to take those things for granted. For us, they're all miracles. We are very, very lucky people. And it's so nice to be able to share this space with Sam and Isabel and to get, yeah, everyday people 
to be able to actually sit down and talk about their life and that experience. I love it. So it's from the heart by Heart Kids. Can you tell us where we can listen to your program? And friends, I will have the links in the show notes, but for those of you who are listening who might want to know, would you go ahead and give them the URL? You can find it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all your podcast streaming apps. And you're also on Facebook and Instagram, and we can find you at, at Heart Kids Australia, no spaces, friends, or on Instagram, just Heart Kids. Did you all want to share any other URLs or links or anything that people might be interested in knowing? For me, it's something that I try and talk to people. I'm trying to grow my community. So if there's anybody out there who wants to reach out to me on social media, please come find me on Instagram, slide into my DMs. I'm, I'm happy to have a chat to people. I love hearing people's journeys. I love getting to share my journey as well. So if you feel inclined, then yeah, please come find me on, on Instagram. It's Ronan, R-O-N-I-N dot Stolls, S-T-O-L-Z. Okay, great. And so, Rachel, did you also want to share yours? Anybody's always welcome to contact me. If you want to talk through anything or have a chat or whatever, mine is Rachel Knowles. The Rachel is spelled a little bit funny. It's R-A-C-H-A-E-L and then Knowles, like Beyonce, underscore. So <laughs> I love me. that, like Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wish I could say we were cousins, but I'm still trying to figure out if we are, you know? <laughs> I love it. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much, Rachel, for coming on the program today. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. And it's been wonderful to share the space with yourself and with Sam. It's been, been great. It has been great. And thank you, Sam. I've really enjoyed hearing your story. I think you are definitely the first person to come on my program with a heart defect who has played rugby. And yeah, a lot of Americans may not know about rugby, but I went to school at Our Lady of the Lake in San Antonio, Texas, and we actually had a rugby team. And when I heard how it was played, I was just mortified <laughs> because like you said, rugby players don't have the helmets and the pads and everything that football players do. And it's a pretty vicious sport. Yeah, I think that the athleticism of rugby league is probably one of the most elite. And I'm, I'm very, I guess, one-sided with when it comes to it because it's sort of one of our national sports. But yeah, it's one of the toughest games out there, I reckon. And it's, yeah, I love watching and I, I miss getting to play it. Well, it sounds like you would be a great commentator because you know the sport inside and out. And maybe there's a place for you doing something like that. I'll add it to my list of things to do. Yeah, I'm pretty caught up in <laughs> getting to do these podcasts at the moment. And that's where my heart is. But I'm happy to, to take that on should the opportunity present itself. And we need to get you on like Triple M with Fox doing interviews. That's what we oh, need. Oh, hell yeah. Imagine, imagine <laughs> that. Me, me, me and the Fox would be killing it. You went out of car. Yeah, yeah buddy oath. that sounds amazing well friends that's it for this week's episode if you enjoyed this episode of heart to heart with anna please take a moment and drop me a line on facebook instagram or on my website all of the links will be in the show notes and that's the description of the show let me know what you like about this episode and remember my friends you are not alone thank you again for joining us this week We hope you have become inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart community. Heart to Heart with Anna with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard at any time, wherever you get your podcasts. A new episode is released every Tuesday from noon Eastern time.